This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared my, to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Word of the Lord. Be to God. The kids are invited to Children's Church. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain. The only things that real, the needle tears a hole, the old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remain everything. Does anybody know that song? Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, although I was reading from the Johnny Crash rendition. But, but he, he changes one or two lines. Um, but uh, it was funny, I was picking up donuts this morning, and that, that song came on the radio, or Pandora is what they use there, is is this Johnny Cash song about, well, Trent Reznor song about addiction, about finding yourself in this empty spot, about well, things are passing away, things are turning to dust, and the world is failing in so many ways. And I spent all week, or most of the week, thinking about Hades, uh, that he descends to the dead, that he descends unto hell, and the, the words of the creed, and some of them. And I actually thought, you know, Leading up to this Sunday, I thought, I think that the preferred rendition I would say is that he descends into hell. Uh, and then I studied this week and I was like, no, that's wrong. Um, so I repent with uh, uh, sackcloth and ashes. And we, the one we read as we've been going through the creed says that he descends to the dead, which is actually a better rendition, both of sort of the original languages, but also 
um, of what the Bible teaches us about what Jesus does, is that he descends to the dead. Now, in not many churches, but some churches, you have a, a service for Holy Saturday, and this would be the time between sort of Good Friday when Jesus is on the cross, and then the time between Easter in which he rises again. But in the Protestant church, it seems like we've done a lot to lose Holy Saturday. It's not something we think of often. I mean, we, we have trouble, as I joke every year, is that getting people for Good Friday, let alone some sort of contemplation of Good Saturday, seems like too much of a stretch. And it happens so that Easter falls in the string, so Saturday becomes time to do the lawn and everything else. And yet it's hard for us to sit with this, is what happens on Saturday? What does Jesus do on the Saturday in which he is laid in the tomb? Now, Scripture on this teaches sort of a, a different things. There's a, what Park read for us is that the good news is preached to the dead. It says that in Peter also that he um, descends to sort of this prison and preaches there to the captives. Ephesians says that he descends to the lowest parts of the earth. What, what Jamie read for us is this, um, this line that he is he's not abandoned to Sheol. And so we have these sort of two uh, words on Hades is, is sort of the Greek word, and they're backwards, I guess, if you're um, Testament. So New Testament, Hades, uh, Old Testament, Sheol, are these two words that sort of capture this. Now, now, the word for hell is Gehenna, so it's not one of these two words. But Jesus seems to descend to this place of Hades in the New Testament. He's, he's abandoned unto Hades. He goes to Hades. And yet Hades doesn't seem to have touch over him. And in the same way, there's all sorts of Old Testament passages that talk about this place, Sheol. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there's not a lot of people going to heaven when they die in the Old Testament. They predominantly go to this place called Sheol, which is this underworld of sorts. Um, it's a place where it's hard to know and to praise God, although this is where the Bibleism multifaceted in its teaching on this in ways that it makes it hard to say if you pull these threads together really hard, you're cutting off these pieces, and if you pull those threads together really hard, you're cutting off those people. And I think in its wisdom, the scripture tends to leave the things beyond words, the things in which we can't can't entirely encapsulate in ourselves in this space in which it's harder to discern exactly everything, to make it all make sense. Um, somebody might be able to make it all make sense, but that's not me. And on top of that, I'm sure they're cutting out something else if they did it. Um, so it's, it's got multifaceted lanes to it. So uh, uh, Sheol seems to be a place where you don't know God and it's hard to praise God, but it's not hell and you're awaiting something there. And yet the psalm that Brian read for us before the service said that even if I make my bed there, you're there. Even if I go to the place of darkness where there is no light, the darkness is as light to you. And so there's these multifaceted ways of sort of talking about this place, and I don't think any one of them fully captures all of what's going on here. And so we have various New Testament passages too. Uh, this one, for this reason the gospel, this is what Park read for us, to even those who are dead, so they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to the spirit. Um, it's not common that we talk about that the gospel was preached to those who were dead. 
It's not something at, at our church, and it's not something at many churches, in which you would say, what does it mean that the gospel was preached to those who were dead? This is where this, this notion that Jesus descends unto Hades comes in with one of these passages. Or there's this one from um, Ephesians. But each one of us has been given grace as Christ's portion to it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave his gift to his people. And what does he ascended mean? That he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Ephesians proclaims for us that he is one who descends to the lower earthly regions. Now, you could interpret that as ancient Near East Israel, or you could interpret the lower earthly regions in sort of this um, three-tiered universe type of way, and that he descends unto Hades, that he descends into the lowest parts in which humanity is sort of bound to. This is... Um, uh, and then there's this one, which is, is I always struggle with. It's, it's the sign of Jonah and Matthew. First, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is not Hades in this passage, but what does it mean that Jesus spends three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? And he could say buried in the ground or, or just resting or this and that. But he, he sort of claims out that this is a sign of Jonah to the people, that he spends three days buried in this place, that he goes to the depths. And that's part of what the first part of today's sermon is about, is that Christ descends. The two, two sort of halves of today's sermons are that Christ descends and Christ ascends. So on Holy Saturday is the day you would think about what does it mean that Christ descends even further? Does it mean that he goes to the lowest places? This week was also the day of ascension, the day in which you, if, if you were part of a church that did that day, would gather and read the text about Jesus' ascension unto the right hand of the Father. So this morning, for, the, for this section of the creed, I, the two parts I really want to pay attention to is this, this idea that he descends and that this idea that he ascends. So that Johnny Cash song, Hurt, today. I think the first thing to worth noting about Jesus' descent is there's a devotional aspect of this. That no matter how low you might get, no matter how dark it might seem, no matter how lost you may be, there's, there's a way in which Scripture is attesting to that Jesus has been there, that God is present in those places. Calvin and um, John Calvin and a theologian, Hanser van Balsadar, talk about how if we were to say that Jesus has descended unto hell, what they mean is that he descended to the point on the cross, that hell unleashes itself on Jesus at that moment. It causes in one or two of the Gospels to proclaim, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet these are places in our lives where we see no light, we see no hope, and we see only the grave and desolation. We only see addiction and brokenness. We only see what we've lost. We only see our own sin that may have brought us to those places. We only see all this darkness that seems to surround us. And what this first proclaims to us this descent is that Christ went there and lower. I think it's important to add, and the lower. It's not that like Christ's suffering and death is, is like your suffering and death. It's actually much more. 
it's encapsulated in that, but you, he goes deeper. He goes further. He goes beyond that and his, and his sink down into the lower regions of the earth, into the heart of the earth, as it says in Matthew. And it's there that Christ um, is, is sort of, in the, in the words of half the New Testament, is he's sort of lifted up by God. He's the one who is vindicated by God. Through his life and through his death of faithfulness, God vindicates him and raises him up to his right hand. He ascends from there. And so what it means for us is that no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how lost it is, that it's a place that God has been to as well. It's a place that God has been beyond in its darkness and its lostness. And this is part of the truth of what it means to say he sends to the dead. He descends to this realm, this underworld realm. But, there, but there's another way in which this, this sort of takes place. And this is a classic sort of art for this image from the first early parts of the church is that the person on the, the woman on my right, his left, I guess, this is not a, they don't teach you this in preaching, how to look at an image backwards, um, uh, is Eve. Um, and, the, and the person on the right is Adam. Um, and the, the doors that are sort of being broken open are the doors of Hades. That Christ is raiding Hades is sort of what this image... And the, and the classic sort of name for this is called the hero, harrowing of hell, but I think it also works better as the harrowing of Hades, is that before Christ rises, raises from the dead... Um, Jewish tradition to some extent would maintain all the souls of the saints of Elijah and all these people were sort of bound in this place. And what happens in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and you begin to see this appearing at the, Old Test- uh, at the end of the Old Testament, that there will be a general resurrection of all those people who are down there. And so what Christ does is he sort of raids Hades. He preaches the good news there. And the people who hear it are lifted up with him. Now Hades is this, um, the book of Revelation says that he holds the keys to death and to Hades. That Jesus is the one who sort of can go and trample into these places. He's the one who's in charge. And, and not only that, if, if you really read that passage, also those are cast into the lake of fire. So if you're thinking, well, Hades is hell, it has some semblance to hell, but it actually turns out that Hades is itself bound and sent to hell as well. That that's cast out in the book of Revelation. But I like this image and I like this, these thoughts is to say that, that Christ goes to this place, first, um, if you're a chronological person, to get the souls that didn't hear the good news preached, right? That, that the people who lived faithfully before that time are rescued, Right? Um, and so if you really think chronologically about what God's doing and you have a dim, dim view or a lower view of what people might have known in the Old Testament period, it's important that Christ goes there and proclaims the goodness of what has happened in his life so that they too can rise with him, that they can go to God, that they can go to heaven, that they can be with him. That that's part of what's proclaimed in this moment. And, and there are other saints around that are sort of saints from the Jewish mindset that are being bound up in this act. And you see this artwork in other places. But you see that sort of the extinguishment of death here. You see death sort of being demolished. Now, now this is a quote from St. Athanasius writing in the third century. And what he wants to do and have people consider is that, that what Christians are finding with death is that it's a bit like a lion. 
death is a lion for people in the world, and as a lion is something you don't play with lightly. But what St. Athanasius says, if you see children playing with a lion, don't you know that the lion must either be dead or completely powerless? In the same way, when you see Christ's believers playing with death and despising it, there can be no doubt death has been destroyed by Christ, and its corruption has been dissolved and brought to end. Now we no longer die as those condemned, but as those who will arise, who will arise. What I think we find in this statement that I believe Christ descended to the dead is that Christ defeated death. He defanged the lion. And so that as you saw Christ's believers, and we see this in the first um, three centuries of the church, that the Romans, they want their graveyards a certain distance from the city, and then the Christians go and hang out there. Where Christian holy martyrs die, they turn into places of worship, which would have been completely foreign to the Roman world, is that the Christians seem to be able to play with this thing that is ruling everybody else's life, their despair. If you read quotes from Seneca and and these other ancient thinkers who were very wise, they name that death is this great equalizer that is coming for us all, and we should all be wary of it. And what happens for the Christians who believe in Jesus Christ is they find that they know the one who holds the keys to that and it has been found powerless. The eruption of Christ from the grave that we read and we hear about on the third day he rose again names that Christ has broken the bonds of death for those who are united with him. Christ has trampled down Hades, that Christ has rescued us from that despair and from that loneliness. And so we as Christians enter into that much differently than everyone else does. We know what's on the other side. We know what's, what's been done. And so he has descended unto the dead. So this quote on the back of the bulletin, um, if I, I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. But if I make my bed in Hades, in 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 Hebrew. The message of the Bible is that death is not the end. Death does not defeat God's promise. Death is not separation from God. In Jesus Christ, God has dwelt among the dead. God has touched the very limits of our nature from birth to death in order to sanctify us and unite us to God. The living has embraced death. Death has been subsumed by life. That the life and the power that was in Jesus Christ, it, it in some of the early church phrases, it gives hell indigestion. It gives Hades indigestion and so that it knows that it has been pierced. That somebody and something has come there, some power that it is unable to extinguish and that erupts into new life and new creation. This is classic Christian hope that Jesus is the one who has rescued us from death and brought us into new life. Something we, we reenact in all our baptisms. This is, this is one, of the, um, one of my things I love about baptism with adults and, and baptism as a whole is that we lay people into a watery tomb. It's sort of the way we think of that, is that you're literally laid into the death of Christ. You're laid into that place so that you can be lifted up and raised into new life. It's a hard act when you really think about it. What does it mean to be lowered into somebody else's death in a way that you participate in it so that you too may also be raised? There's a, there's a habit, there's a, there's a joke about um, 
I don't know if I've seen it ever in a first century document, so I'll say it seems to be a modern extrapolation, but that when Caesar comes to martyr the Christians, the question is, how do you kill those who only under, already understand themselves as dead? Like, it, what happens in our deaths, or what happens in our watery tomb death with Jesus is, for humans, is that it's the worst that has already could happen to us has happened to us. We've already gone to the darkest place we're going to go. And when we're raised up, we're raised into a new sphere in which we have a different relationship to things. We have a different way of being after that. And this is the, the challenge of trying to capture in, in baptism. And it's, it's why we have water back there for people to sort of run their fingers in to remember their baptism. Is Because what I found is that if you were baptized as an infant, which I worked at the Episcopal Bookstore in Seattle, we sold you tons of stuff to help you remember your baptism. It was an important thing that you remember it. But if you were baptized as an adult, we just assume you remember your baptism. What would you need us to do? And I think both sides are right. It's important to remember your baptism. It's important to remember your participation in this with Christ. And the reason, it, it, well, there's just one other story is that there was a Greg Jones, uh, the dean of Duke Divinity School, when he was dropped off at college, his parents didn't tell him, you know, don't do drugs, don't do that, do that. When they were driving away, they told him, remember that you are baptized. Uh, and he was like, that was such harder news than a list of stuff not to do. Because a list of stuff not to do, I could either do it or not do it, I could negotiate it. But to remember that I belong to God, to remember that I've been claimed by that, so much that the powers of death don't touch me, it's a bit more of a challenge than just don't listen to rock and roll music and get straight A's. The, the next thing we wanted to talk about today, and this is sort of the second half of the sermon, or it, not a full half, is this, that he ascends. It's not enough to say that Christ descends, it's also that he ascends. Now this image, and other images like it, I pick kind of as a bad example of ways of thinking about what happens here. So Kelly is teaching the kids about the ascension today, and she kept asking me, why can't I do the balloon? right? You take a balloon outside, let it go up. That's what happens to Jesus, right? Is that he sort of ascends up into the heavens to be with his father. And the first is that as modern people, we don't exist in a three-tiered universe. Someday these kids are going to find out that heaven is not up there. Um, so you're, you're setting yourself up for a challenging moment at some point when they're like, I thought that was heaven. Um, the second is, 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 and this is, I think this image is funny. I think this one, there's his feet again. Allegedly, and I couldn't find a picture of it, there are chapels in Europe of, of Jesus' just feet in the ceiling um, because they're, they're, they're capturing the ascension, right? That Jesus ascends. Now this is something Luke tells us twice, both in the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of Acts. It's an important thing, and it was also in um, Peter's sermon that Jamie read for us, is that Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father. And I think that these are these are helpful images. This is one that I liked a little bit better. You can kind of see Jesus in there. Because what the New Testament actually teaches about the ascension is more than Jesus just ascends to the Father to sit at his right hand to judge the living and the dead. But what that when he goes away, it's so that he can fill everything. He goes to bring fullness to things. This is what that Ephesians passage says too, is that Christ is the one who is the fullness of everything. Or in John's gospel, which we just finished, he ascends so that he can send his spirit to us and be nearer to us now than he was when he lived on earth. 
So when we think about sending a balloon up into the air and being like, that's a good image of the ascension, we all know that the balloon doesn't come back and is nearer to us than it was when we had it in our hands. But that's what happens with Jesus' sort of movement to the right hand of the Father is he moves to sit at a spot in the universe in which then he can be present to us in the way he is, in the ways in which we remember him and bring him into this moment. I believe he is here now. That song we sang is very much, uh, we are able to sing that because we believe in the ascent of Jesus. Jesus had just risen from the tomb and walked around Jerusalem and then walked around and walked around. He would still be a guy or a body bound by the places he could be on earth. But instead, and, and this is where it gets challenging, it's the New Testament tends to say his body ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. It's not that he leaves behind his body, but that he ascends bodily to that place. And from that place, he's able to be present to us in ways he wasn't when he was just even the resurrected Jesus who walked around on earth afterwards. There's something about the ascension that fulfills that message even more and enables the Spirit to come in Pentecost. But it's from the ascension we also await his return. As he is more present to us now as one who has ascended, as one who sits at the right hand of the Father, so too we also wait for that return from which he will come back which he will judge the living and the dead, in which he will um, restore earth, restore heaven, new heaven and new earth, in the words of Revelation. And it's this that we it's speak about every Sunday with communion, is that we proclaim or we broadcast the Lord's death until he returns. We make a statement about something that we expect to happen with that. We expect that Christ will return, that this meal and this moment is meant to symbolize us awaiting that return. And so these two arrows, this dissension, that Christ descends to us and that Christ ascends into the heavens, are, are I think, um, very important for us to understand what it means to know who Jesus is. We talked two weeks ago about how, you know, we talk about his earthly ministry and we get the cross down pretty well and we get Easter down pretty well, but the two things we tend to leave off is that he goes to the lowest regions as one and his power over that. And in the same way, he also ascends up and so that he is the fullness of all things. He fills all things. He's present to us now. The power to heal now and the grace to forgive. He's one who, who radiates into these places as well. And so for us to continue to, to sort of consider what does it mean that he goes down and what does it mean that he goes up and so that that can enable and be fruitful in our lives to know that Jesus is one who reigns. And the last thing to say about the ascension is that we are with him above, we with him beside God. That as we've been gathered up in what Jesus has done and while we still live on this earth, because of the way he ascended to the Father as the faithful human one, those who belong to him are with him there as well. We are ones who are with God. We are ones who belong to God. And this is where the sermon fails is because I'm supposed to have application. And I think if you think about that long enough, that's your application, right? Um, to know that you're with God. It's not like 
So go forgive a little bit more, be kinder. I mean, that's sort of the way you could end. But I think that the idea is to hold that central in our hearts, to know that we are united with Christ, that we are his, and we know him as the one who is not dead, but as the one who lives, because he lives to God, and he lives to us, and we are with him beside God. Let us pray. God, we proclaim our beliefs in you. We believe that you were born of the Virgin Mary, that you suffered under Pontius Pilate, that you were buried in the grave, that you descended to the dead, and that on the third day you raised again and ascended into heaven now are seated at the right hand of the Father and you will come to judge the living and the dead. God, we ask that these beliefs don't become things we merely just say, but take residency in our lives. That we know you as the human one, the Son of Man, the Son of God, who lived this life faithfully even unto death. And through that, your name shall be said words of Philippians, above the earth and even under the earth, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are the Lord. Be near to us now in this hour. Be near to us now as we break bread. And remember and call forth, participate in the good news you have given us. Amen.